So I want to whet your appetite for today uh, and just tell you that what we're going to talk about is actually the secret of spiritual growth and vibrancy for you as an individual and for us as a church. All right, that's a pretty big claim. So let's see what we got here. Again, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or again, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, I'm sorry, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I have been reading that list to you for quite a few weeks now because we, we've, this is where we are in the series, walking through the fruit of the Spirit week by week, okay? One thing that strikes me every single time I read that or I hear that read is that there is no way humanly possible that you and I are ever going to get this into ourselves uh, on our own. Um, there is no set of rules. There's no curriculum out there. There's no, you know, like method of study, uh, mentoring program that can ever produce the character that we just read. Um, I know uh, I can look around the room and, you know, say, hey, you know, this per that person is really a loving person or that's a good dude right there. But all of this within us, and especially when, when we stop to remember again that we're not talking about human love, human peace, human joy. We're talking about the character of God, the personality of God. This is God's DNA. And to think that in our own strength, by our, our own might, we are going to pull this kind of richness and deepness in us, it, it, it's just absurd. Um, this is the character of God, and it only comes by the Spirit of God to the people of God. The, all of this, th this is heavenly stuff, folks. And it comes to us on one hand because God has promised it to every Christian. So we can start there being encouraged going, okay, how could I ever do this? Well, number one, God said he wants to give it to you. The Spirit of God has come to sow this and grow this in your life, but we also play a part in, in the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in our life. These come to us as, as we humbly open our hands and open our hearts to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, it, it, we as Christians, we say, okay, Lord, come. Fall, Holy Spirit, fall fresh on me. Make me into the likeness of Jesus Christ. You know, like the old 70s song goes, you know, mold me, make me, melt me, shape me. Lord, move me more and more underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Spirit of God, move me into deeper relationship with Christ. That's the part we pray. So why don't we do that right now? All right, let's pray. Father God, we ask you, um, we, just, we just ask you to open our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, we ask you today to, to just help us to lower any defenses, um, to just throw open the, the shutters of our heart. And we just invite you to do what you have promised to do in us. We, we want so much to, to look and smell and, and be Jesus in our world. We, we, we long to do more then just float along with the American dream, whatever that is. So, Father God, come, have your way. Holy Spirit, do something big in us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so since our old buddy, uh, the Apostle Paul has already brought it up, um, today we are going to talk about gentleness. Now, the joke behind the scenes uh, today with the, or this week with the preaching team was, what in the world are you going to say for 30 minutes about gentleness? 
And when Donnie said that, I was like, how dare you, Donnie? I had the same thought. I, re I really had the same thought. So for me, it was so much fun. You know, there's, I, if you ever get to preach, okay, two rules. Uh, number one, uh, never, never eat garlic the night before because it turns your mouth into the Sahara Desert. But the, the other thing about preaching is this. There are times when you come up on a subject and you go, ooh, I, I just don't know what I'm going to do. And you open the word and you begin to dig in and you're like, I could go for hours and hours and hours on this. So there's a lot of good stuff to say about gentleness today. So I'm going to start with the Greek word today. This is a word that actually matters. Um, I don't try and wow and impress with Greek words. Um, I mispronounce half of them anyway. But the Greek word for gentleness here is proutus, Okay. And proutus means, are you ready? Meekness. That's exactly the reaction I thought I would get in the room when I said that. Meekness is a word that does not have a lot of curb appeal for us. Um, you don't hear the word meekness and go, yes, yes, he's going to talk about it. Meekness. Oh, I've waited. I've wondered. You know, I'm drooling for this. Most of us haven't even heard somebody use the word meek in years. It, it just doesn't really grab you. Um, my suspicion, in part, is that the word meekness doesn't grab us because it sounds too much like weakness. And when you, yeah, see, you got a little mm from the crowd. Uh, think about what do we think about? What comes to mind when you think about, about uh, meekness? Words that I thought of were quiet, mild, shy. Um, it brings up little images, you know, of, of different kind of meek animals. What's the number one? Say it, please. Mouse, exactly. You know, I mean, even their squeak sounds like meek, right? But li little soft brown mice, right? Uh, little baby deer, maybe a butterfly floating through a field. We think about uh, the images, uh, you know, are, are we associate with soft breezes, gentle streams, maybe a nice fluffy cotton ball. Uh, when you apply the word to people, I think we, we usually think of one of two kind of people. Uh, the first one is your basic doormat. That's a meek person, you know, utterly compliant, right? They just kind of go along with whatever. Or the better image is someone very warm and snuggly, like your grandma, right? That, 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 those are, hey, by the way, uh, Jane is a grandma. And since Jack and Leo have come into our life, she is much warmer and snugglier. It's just, that's... That's being a grandma, right? But here's what we have to do with, with all of that. We have to push it aside because the real question is, what does the apostle Paul mean when he uses the word meekness? Now, there are two things that, that he means, and the first one is pretty much what we think of when we hear the word gentle or meek. Um, it is someone who is kind and caring and compassionate in their interactions with people. Um, especially when people don't, don't deserve it, you know? A person comes in really hot. I need to talk to somebody right now. A gentle, meek person is, well, let's, let's calm down. I'm listening. Let me help you. That's gentleness. Uh, we're not going to go into that deeply today because we actually talked about this just a few weeks ago when we looked at the fruit kindness. There was that uh, gentleness-kindness combo there in fruit number five, and we talked about then, and you can go back and watch the sermon if you want to again, um, but we, we talked about the eternal kindness of God for us, that we are sinners, that we deserve death, condemnation, we've broken the law of God, we rejected him. We deserve that by nature. But God who is rich in mercy, God who is kind, God who is gentle, what did he do? 
He, he offered us Jesus Christ instead and salvation and eternal love. That is the kindness of God. So we got into that, and we also included that the Holy Spirit wants to put that in us. That, that kind of gentle kindness that he wants to sow it and grow it in every one of us. So we're going to talk about the other side of meekness. And Ray Parham is going to be very happy with this next illustration because the only way I think you can understand biblical meekness like Paul is talking about is to talk about horses, Ray. Um, so let, let me talk to you about horses for a minute because I'm a real expert, okay? <laughs> I saw that. I didn't know that was coming. Um, but with the exception, okay, when it comes to horses, with the exception of my little pony and little Sebastian, uh, a horse is a very big animal, okay, especially for me, right? Uh, but a horse is, it's a big animal. This is an animal with incredible strength, speed, and stamina. And, and I just want you to know, if you don't know already, a horse can seriously hurt you if it wants to, um, especially an unbroken horse or a horse that's not quite there yet. Uh, you, you approach that thing the wrong way or, you know, you try and pull a lone ranger and get on that thing's back, you're going to get jacked up. It will hurt you, right? But once a horse is broken, okay, and especially if the horse is cared for, and Ray could probably come up and tell us all about that, Ray and Laura. Um, but if you care for the horse and love the horse and, and tend the horse, it is a beautiful thing. It's, it, it is at the service of mankind. It, it is a great service to mankind. It is 600 plus pounds of power under the will of its rider. It can, it can be directed, and I just think it's incredible, with reins, a tug to the right or the left, a, a heel kick, a voice command. You can do all kind of stuff with a horse that you could never do before. All kind of horsey things, right? You can plow a field if we want to go old school. You know, you, you, you can race it for money if you got that kind of horse. Um, you, you can ride the trail. Folks, you can do all kind of cowboyish things with a horse once it, it, it is broken, and that's what Paul is actually getting at when, when he uses meekness here. He is inviting us to be that way when it comes to God. You know, to go from this place of wild, strong independence underneath the command and the will and the lordship of Jesus Christ. So by meekness, Paul is talking about being gentled, gentled, a new word, underneath the will and the hand of God. And Paul isn't alone in this idea. You know, it's not like he just thought about it and go, I got something. This is all over Scripture. Um, uh, Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 5, 6. He says, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. James, in James 4, 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So, so the idea here, it, it's, it's pretty clear. We are called, invited to place our strength, our power, our ingenuity, our talent, our desire underneath the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a radical idea for us to no longer, as we, we've sung and said, no longer to just live for our flesh, but to really live underneath the direction and the leading of the Spirit of God, under the Word of God. And the ultimate example, of course, for this is Marv, no, it's Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. 
Sorry, Marv. You know I love you, Pally. But it is a, it's Jesus Christ. He is a be- the beautiful example of this. Um, Jesus, first of all, the first part that we didn't really talk about today, we, we covered it a few weeks ago. Jesus was that first side of meekness, wasn't he? He was gentle. He was kind. He was compassionate in his interactions with people. And we're talking about all kinds of people, you know, ordinary people. Jesus was amazing with them. Uh, out People who were outcasts. You know, think about it. Lepers. I mean, a leper would walk the street back in those days and he'd have to cry out, leper, leper, and everybody. I mean, it was like the Old West, diving behind barrels and shutting their doors, doing anything to get away from them. Jesus went up to them. He touched them. He spoke to them. He loved them. He healed them. Uh, Jesus was this way with the marginalized. Let's see if we can think about a marginalized group of people in the Gospels. Women, you know? I mean, no offense, uh, you know, to, to, but women in, in the Gospels were kind of accessories back then. Well, look at what Jesus did. He, he loved them. He honored them. He respected them. He invited them into ministry. They were a part of his followers. You know, I mean, uh, they went on to do great things. Uh, Jesus was this way with, with the folks that were taboo. The Samaritans, oh my gosh, the Samaritans. Well, Jesus not only talked to Samaritans, he went to Samaria. And we even have that scandalous scene in John where we find Jesus talking to a woman, Samaritan, by a will, by a well. I'm sorry, not by a will, a well. And so, so well, I'm from the South. I can probably say will and get away with it. But anyway, but so he was kind and compassionate, but he was also this other side of meekness, which is mind-blowing. He was 100% submitted to the direction of the Father, the leading of the Spirit. I mean, here he is, and it is incredible when you think about it, because who is Jesus? I mean, okay, the, the list is long, and I won't go through the whole thing, but he's the Son of God. He's the Savior and the Messiah. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the bright morning star. I mean, he's everything, right? And yet, while he's down here on this earth, and for all of eternity, he's completely submitted to the agenda of his Father. I just, wow! You know, I mean, as human beings, when, you know, we, we, we get some power and we, you know, we get some position, I mean, it's all about us, right? With Jesus, it's all about God the Father, all about the kingdom of heaven. Paul says it this way, I love it. Philippians uh, 2, 5 through 8, Jesus Christ who being in very nature God. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or taken to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." So in Jesus, we just have this beautiful, submissive humility. I mean, this absolute surrender to what God wants to do. Jesus is the ultimate example. He's he's a remarkable example. Jesus is all that, right? I mean, remember that corny saying in the 80s? Oh, it's all that in a bag of chips. Worst saying of all time. But Jesus is. He is all of that. And yet, he is completely subject to his Father's agenda completely subject to to the mission of God. 
You know, Jesus' whole, whole life, this, this blew me away this week, his whole life is reflected in a prayer he prayed at the very end of his life in Luke twenty-two forty-two, where in the garden he prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Rewind the tape to the beginning of his life. Same thing is true at the beginning of his life. You remember the scene in Luke 2 where uh, Jesus disappears for a little bit? Um, he and his parents take a trip along with a lot of other people, and Jesus just disappears in the middle of the trip. Well, Mary and Joseph have to search frantically for him. They're looking everywhere for him, and finally they catch up to him at the temple, and, and Mary says to him basically, what in the world have you been doing? Where have you been? We have been looking everywhere for you. Young man, listen to me. What does Jesus say back? Why, why were you even looking for me? Didn't you know that I would be right here in my father's house, about my father's business. Jesus says this to us directly in John 6, 38. He says, look, I've come down from heaven to earth to do, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. The, the, the will of God was the entire life story of Jesus on this earth. That, that's just fascinating. It's amazing. And you might say, well, boil it down. Well, what was, the, what, what was the will of God on this earth? Well, you could say it a lot of different ways. I'll, I'll use an old saying. Uh, I don't know who said this. I'd give him credit if I did. But uh, the, 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 really, the will of Jesus, what is it? Well, it was to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable. That's what he, it was all about for him. You know, why? To draw them all into salvation, to draw them all in to life with God, to, to, to draw everyone into this place that he is, which is a life completely lived in the will of God, the beauty of that life. Now, having said that, one thing that, that is pretty sad is that we often get God's will for our lives very wrong. Talk to people about the will of God. Um, you know, if you ever do, you, 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 a lot of times you'll get this reaction, ooh, oh, the will of God for my life. And then you press, well, talk to me about that. What are you thinking? Well, I mean, man, if I, you know, give my life to God in that way, if I become all about the will of God, that's going to be kind of a drag, you know, uh, kind of heavy. I mean, God's going to turn me into something I don't recognize, a you know, big millstone around my neck, kind of like walking through life with an anchor, dragging me to a stop. You know, God's a taskmaster. God's a chore giver. We see the will of God so often as cement blocks on our feet. But nothing could be further from the truth. You know, John talks about the will of God, and uh, he says this very plainly in John, uh, 1 John 5, 3. He says, love for God is keeping his commands. Now, what he's saying there is, look, the will of God, the commands of God are the will of God. And you, not only do you show love for God, you experience the love of God when you get into his commands. When your life is about what he says, you experience the love of God. And then he goes on to say, and look, by the way, his commands are not burdensome. Why? Because that's what we think. Jesus talks about this. Uh, in some of your favorite, some of you, this is your favorite verse, Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened. Now, here's what Jesus means there. I'm going to stop for a second. By weary and burdened, he's saying this. Look, all of you who have discovered a spiritual truth, that life apart from God is an empty life. 
It, it is a life that will wear you out, uh, whether you've experienced the death, the darkness, just the, the burden of sin. When you get wearied and burdened by that, come to me. Come to me if you're wearied by that, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, right, oxen, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then just in case we wondered, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, I think one thing we've got to rediscover in the church of Jesus Christ today I think we've really got to restore, um, replenish, remind ourselves of is a right understanding of the will of God for us as a church and a people. So I'm going to give it to you. You ready? Here it comes. The will of God for your life, every individual in the room, the will of God for Cornerstone is wonderful. It is beautiful. The, the, the cry of every human heart is satisfied in the will of God. The, the desire to be satisfied, to, 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 to be filled, to be loved, to be content. That is God's will for you and me and for us together. Jesus describes life in the will of God, right? He calls it eternal. He calls it abundant. He, he, he calls it life to the full. And so I am now... With full knowledge, okay, here's my disclaimer. I am now going to make a statement that some people would consider blasphemous, okay? So I'm, I'm going to risk it today. I've thought about and prayed about this a lot, but I'm going to go ahead and say this anyway. What is wrong <clears throat> with many churches and in many of our lives today? It is not COVID. It, it, it's not the other side of the political aisle that, than you're on. Um, it is not inflation, it is not that society is in the process of throwing away morality. The problem with many believers and many churches is we get outside of the will of God and we wither. We wither outside of the will of God. We really do. Gentleness, remember again, or meekness, is when we place ourselves underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ and the leading and the direction of God and the Spirit of God. But see, the problem as, not, not just Americans, but the problem is, as people is that we do what we want to do anyway. I mean, we do. You know, we, we just, we pull in that direction. It is the human condition. It, it, it is a real American thing, both inside and outside of the church. And folks, this happens, you know. It, it, I, we've been in places like this before, but this happens sometimes in churches where a church is far less about the will of God as revealed in Scripture and the leading of the Spirit of God than it is about a few strong personalities that get their way. Happens all the time in church. For, for, I, I know a lot of pastors, you know, sometimes when you get behind the scenes and you say, hey, what's really going on? You are not doing well. What comes back is something like this. Look, I'm just trying to keep people happy so I don't lose my job. That happens a lot. For, for, for sometimes for people in the church, it's less about what God is doing, what God is up to, than it is what I want, how I want. Burger King, you know? I have it, have it my own way. And folks, and oh, by the way, you want to know what the will of God is for the church? I don't even have this in my notes. It's the Great Commission. It is a church built around the Great Commission. 
lived out in the, in the, the, so it's the great commission lived out in the spirit of the greatest command, the love of God flowing back and forth. And so one thing this allows us to do is, is as individuals for each person in the room to just consider the will of God when it comes to our lives. Are our lives about what we want? You know, and we all do this. We all have different finish lines. They're usually pretty similar to one another, but, you know, here's what I want, here's what I'm going to get, you know. I hear, you know, is, is it all about that or is it really about the will of God? I sat before that question this week. I typed it out and I sat before that question for an hour. I just really looked at myself and I said, Lord, you know, I'm going to ask a question to the congregation that I've got a lot of room to grow in myself. It's a good, good spiritual question. Are we about the will of God or are we about our own will? Do, uh, here's another question I ask myself. Are we really about living out what we sing and what we read and what we profess? Because, you know, biblically, that is actually what belief is. Belief is not the facts in your head. Belief is what you live every single day. I tell you, I have wrestled with those this week. So if, if that makes you wrestle, hey, come join the club. It's a good club to be in today, right? But is Cornerstone Church the same thing is true? Um, are we pursuing God's plan in all that we do as a church? We had a, a staff retreat this week, and... Uh, we kind of asked that question in a different way, and we realized as a staff, you know, we, we need we got to do some realignment here, you know, in the areas of evangelism. I mean, training, equipping people to to reach people around you in, in, with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's that's something that slid off the 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 slate, the agenda of a lot of churches. We we really need to get back on that. You know, we talked about discipleship in terms of transformation, like. Man, if you walk with us through this stuff that we're going to be teaching, your life is going to change. But really raising the bar because that's God's will for the church. I ask myself, do I really trust that if we really are about the things that God says, that God will really bless us? It's a good question. So do our leaders, do our elders, our deacons, our staff, do as for you, do you see us seeking to walk out the path that God has laid for us. When you look at your leadership, are we full of the Spirit? Are, are, are we really following God's leading in ministry? Good questions again for the church of Jesus Christ. If the answer to those questions is no, and eh, really not about the will of God as individuals, as a per person, I'll tell you what you'll experience, what we'll experience. There will be <clears throat> a continual sense that we're just missing it. You know, that our, our wheels are just spinning. Um, we, we'll get sidetracked and hijacked by political agendas, social agendas, personal agendas. We'll be anxious. We'll be worried. We'll be very nervous about what comes next. But on the other hand, if we humble ourselves, we really seek out the will of God. If we, if we gentle ourselves under the mighty hand of God, you know what's going to happen? We'll thrive. That's just the promise of God for the people of God. If we are about the will of God, we will thrive as individuals and we will thrive as a church. And yet, even as I say that, what I hear in the back of my head is, and yet, we need the Spirit of God to impart the desire to walk with God, to, to seek His will. We, we need Him to fall upon us because I tell you, our flesh will pull left It'll pull right, but the Spirit of God will cause us 
to stay on track. So we want his equipping and his power in this way. <clears throat> Sip of water, and then I'm going to pray. Remember, this is a powerful lesson about garlic, okay? Oh, Father God, we, I just want to pray what I opened up with. Holy Spirit, we, we open our hearts and we open our hands to you. And we just invite you to pour into our lives the very DNA of God that, Lord, through, through our, our bones, through our very bloodstream, through our minds, our souls, our spirits, that you will sow in the love of God, the peace, the joy, just all the way down the line, the very gentleness of God into us. And Lord, I, I thank you that, that whom you equip, you also empower. And we just long, God, we long to be a church that is not just treading water or kind of waiting somewhere down the line for Jesus to show up. God, we want to be on mission. We, we want to join you in what you're doing. We want to see what you're doing and run to it. Father, I thank you that, that you have a great destiny. Lord, that 150 years of being a church, uh, that has nothing to do with being old and calcified and ancient. Father God, you, you, you love taking that which you have established and just using it to do great things. So Father, do that with us. Lord, we, we want to be a transformed, missional, just energized, uh, enriched people who are living for Jesus so brightly. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. In Jesus' name, amen.